My name is Fiona Eastmond. I'm a peer trainer, a podcaster, and I'm studying peer-supported open dialogue at the time of recording. I'm the P that supports this very open dialogue. We had a think about what to call this podcast, so I came up with Open Pod Pod. We thought about it for a bit, and we wondered how included peers were. And I immediately said, well, I'm here, and I'm a peer, so I'm included. So what are these podcasts for, and what is Open Dialogue? It's based on listening to and validating the thoughts and feelings and experiences of a person. So we thought that recording a dialogue would be one of the best ways of demonstrating what a dialogue is like, as it were. The important thing about all of this is that no decision in an open dialogue team is undertaken about us without us. We hope that by listening to the dialogues that happen between myself, Amanda and our guests, that you will get to know a bit more about the subtleties and the nuances of peer-supported open dialogue. Welcome everybody to Open Pod Pod. I'm Amanda Buenida Mosquita and I'm a systemic psychotherapist and open dialogue practitioner and I'm passionate about us bringing new ways of learning and talking and dialogue to each other and that's the purpose of this and I'm very excited to be working alongside my colleague Billy Hardy. Hello folks, welcome to Open Pod Pod. My name is Billy Hardy. And I'm also a systemic psychotherapist and have been interested in working with the ideas of open dialogue for many years now. So it's a great pleasure for me beginning this process because it marks a new moment in the development of open dialogue in a different context. So I'm hoping to generate some new ideas, share some ideas with Amanda on these pods and then see where it takes us. So nice to meet you all and hope these are going to be useful to you. The idea behind these, Billy, we discussed it together, is to create dialogue. So we're having a dialogue about dialogue and then we're hoping that the people listening to us will create a reflection on what we're speaking about and hence create more dialogue and a polyphony of voices. You see, I was thinking about that because... Our voices at the moment in this dialogue then get carried to another context with people sitting and listening. And what what do we want to say that promotes dialogue about the ideas that we're going to pursue in this conversation? I'm just thinking that in order to create the space for dialogue, we need silence. We need silence, but usually when we're working in open dialogue, we're part of it the silence that is and we're usually with others and so we can see and feel and connect with people. I'm just very aware that and I'll tell everybody listening that you Billy were my tutor yeah and over the course of learning how to be a systemic therapist some of the ways in which we learned and in the ways in which you taught were almost impossible to pin down and, and in fact, some of the richness of the way in which we learned, I've only really appreciated retrospectively. And I wonder how we can make sure or, or try to make sure this space doesn't do so much of that. And it's relevant in the moment. It's not to say it wasn't relevant at the time. I was just saying that it, it's magic evolved in waves for me. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. 
it's very difficult to notice yourself doing and learning at the same time. Unless maybe you're doing an activity like cycling a bike or or swimming when suddenly something happens. You know, you get your balance on a bike and away you go and you're pedaling for the first time. Or or you're you're moving your arms and legs with all your might and then suddenly you've moved maybe five meters and now you're swimming. But you it's difficult to notice yourself in that moment and and sometimes when I hear feedback like that I'm thinking I'm trying to capture a moment in someone's practice, someone's art and someone's, I guess, embodiment of what are they trying to do when they're having a conversation with someone else? Mm-hmm. And what are they listening to? Because they'll be listening to the client, obviously, and there might be more than one person in the room to listen to. But at the same time, this might be the impenetrable bit, at the same time, you want people to listen to themselves. <laughs> I'm just I'm I'm laughing at the word listening because I remember so clearly a supervision session with you when you said to me well how are you getting on and I said oh actually I've stopped listening to my clients and you you laughed and you said oh okay Amanda what are you doing and I said I'm listening to what they're not saying and you yeah. said, congratulations, you're becoming a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, yeah, yeah. Well, you see, it's that, it, it, in many ways, it reminds me of that musical metaphor that the, a music is only music because of the space between the notes. Mm. So the conversation is usually the meaning. The meaning might be generated in the space between. And it's the space yeah. between that becomes really interesting. It's a bit like, a, and I know I'm stretching this a bit, but I was listening to a radio program earlier this morning, and it was people talking about choreography. And it was sort of highbrow choreographers and dancers, you know, from New York and all those sort of places. Very simply, it, uh, there was a man on, on the program, and he's developed this big show that's happening in London. And he said, the thing is, dancers talk with their bodies. Actually, you're not going so far off topic because I've recently made friends with somebody who was um, a principal ballerina for the Birmingham Royal Ballet. And we went to see a ballet together at Sadler's Wells. And what was really interesting was that I was, and I, I don't know a thing about ballet, nothing, was that I was able to have a conversation with her about the movement, the dance, how it was making me feel, what was going on between the people on the stage. And it was fascinating because we were actually speaking the language of system, irrespective of what what we were doing. I speak it obviously as as part of my work and she spoke it as part of dance, but it's the same language. It's the beats in the middle. It's the and, it's the feelings. It's the, and I think that, does resonate with open dialogue and that's what makes it so very difficult to pin down into something to teach because you almost can't hold it it's like a cloud that goes through you have to feel it don't you yeah yeah Mm -hmm. you see it begs the question for me because of the style of work and training that I've been involved in for a number of years is that when somebody says something and I found myself doing that last week when somebody asks something in a 
in a therapy session, I, I might as closely as possible to the moment that it happened, ask the person, what were you thinking about when you asked that question to that person at that time? And that's a very odd thing to happen in our conversations because if we were walking around with maybe an avatar, for example, who constantly has a conversation with us that says, what are you thinking now when you're having this conversation? It, it would be exhausting. It's far too exhausting for us to think about what's coming out of our mouth mm. at the same time as it's coming out of our mouth. Mm. But, you know, if you're, an, if you're an improviser like Charlie Parker, then you don't have to think about it. It happens. But, of course, in open dialogue and, and, and the way that we are thinking about how we learn or how we talk with people, is we're attempting in some way to just slow things down a little bit mm. so that we can recognise the space mm. and then ask those questions that might help us connect on a, an emotional feeling level. Uh, so that Because I think one of the things that seems to be really important in open dialogue is what's the connection we're making with the other person. I, just, I always notice in open dialogue that talks about using a client's utterances, you know, or using. And whilst I know that that's important, I've also seen it being done very woodenly, very unhelpfully. In fact, almost so it feels like it's being ridiculed. You remember when you were a kid and someone was copying everything you said? Maybe that was just me you know, in the playground. <laughs> I think that was just you, Amanda. That no, was just me, yeah. But you know what I mean, that kind yeah. of mimicking or maybe it's a sibling thing. Yes. And I think it's really important is in those nuances. It's not about just repeating what somebody's saying. It's about truly stopping, slowing down and feeling for ourselves in the room and and to be able to sit with silence well you see i think i think if i if i add something to that it is really useful to to attempt to occupy the space with people in conversation but i think also as part of a part of the art of what i would call and i, I would attribute this to tom anderson mm. who, who's a norwegian psychiatrist and therapist who's passed away a number of years ago but, but one of the things I would take from, from some of his ideas is <clears throat> how we can capture a word. And, and if you can capture a word sometimes, it, it, can, it, it, it can illuminate the whole conversation, but you have to know which word that it is. <laughs> and so you spend a lot of time catching words to see if it's the right word for the moment. It, and it's like panning for gold. No, and it's making me think about the beginning of this conversation when we were thinking about how to involve people in it. Yeah. I wonder, as we used it, the difference in which word or words yeah. might resonate with somebody. Yeah. And that that in itself becomes another part of the dialogue. It's also making me think of when we say words, though, are we just talking about speech which means it, it could be in any language and each language has got its own rhythms and beats and spaces and and a whole sort of rhythm of talking 
that we would not understand because it's not our language. So, so going back to the, the idea of utterances, the nice word because it captures lots of stuff that may not be language specific, but it might be word specific. Given that we work in a multicultural context, how do we, how do we modify and be aware of the different nuances that might be available mm. to people and about people and with people? It's not just in the way that we are having a conversation, because mm -hmm. all of it won't be like this conversation. And I think within that, it's letting go of, okay, this is going to sound a little left of, left of kilter, but here we go. I was thinking recently about the way I communicate with my dog, okay? Seriously, I was. And then I was thinking, she never speaks to me. I, I can say that on record. However... I still understand her. Yeah. And it's a very deep understanding. And then I was thinking about how we as babies or babies in general, having worked for many years in early years, you know, babies communicate with us yeah. and we, we work out what it is they're saying. Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? You know, we go through the different things and try and understand what's upsetting them or what they're saying. And yet as soon as we reach adulthood, we make, or even toddlers, use your words. You know, we make words the most important yeah. part of communicating. And we stop reading or feeling the unsaid. We stop reading people because mm. we're fixated on the words. It's a bit like, and I know I'm, I'm just adding more to this as a way of thickening out this, this position, really. I remember talking with another student and we were talking about this very idea because they were very interested in dialogical approaches, not just to learning, but also to talking with people in the open dialogue. And and they said, oh, I think I know what it's like. And I said, oh, what is it like? And they said, it's like fishing. And I thought to myself, this person's really lost it now. How can it be like fishing? I, at the time when I, I was thinking that, and then they said, this woman was a trout fisherwoman, and she's very skilled. And in fact, she fishes for Britain. You know, she's that good. And she said, the way I'm thinking about it, and this is what she did her, her research on, the way I'm thinking about it is a bit like fishing. And she fishes in rivers, you see. And she says, before we, before we go into a river, we have to read the water. And I was like, well, what, what the hell is reading the water? And she tells me about the flow, and she tells me about the stones and what might be underneath the water and what the, the current is like and what the colour of the water is and how it goes down the bank, what shapes it. Once she's read the water, she knows where to cast. Mm. And I thought that's a brilliant idea. That really sort of brings it to life. Talking and the art of listening maybe also like reading the water. We need to constantly revisit it. Yeah, it's really resonating with me that be it open dialogue or be it just who we are in relationship with people or be it a fisherman or a dancer or a musician, it's all about the language of being beings rather than doings. Yes, yeah. And, and it's very difficult when we think about our services as they are because they're geared around doing. They're geared around the solution, aren't they? 
Yeah, and just as you're saying that, Amanda, there's a big beam of light coming in your window. Oh, yeah, I can see it. Look at that. <laughs> I've been blessed. <laughs> has it has it got any has it got any commandments with it? Uh, no, it hasn't got any yet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an, it, it it's it's always fascinating how we how we position ourselves in, in, in relation to what may be current conversations for lots of people in that the conversation may be one of othering someone or objectifying mm. someone or mm. oppressing someone or or silencing someone, you know, that, so that they don't speak. And that can be done in many different ways. And I suppose that the open dialogue is in a culture that we're thinking of embedding some some training and some some ways of practicing is that it becomes an invitation to a different way of talking and listening which might not have been there before and it mm. it might feel a bit clunky in the way that we're a bit clunky about how we're doing this well I am yeah, no, I, I am. I'm clunky too. And it reminds me, I don't know, you probably won't remember this, but I do. When I first came across Open Dialogue, because it's part of a systemic therapeutic training, it's one of the theories that we come across. I remember getting very angry in a paper I wrote saying, why is this even a theory? This is just about being a person. I mean, why does it even have the credence of, you know, or the importance of being a theory? This is ludicrous. It's going back to what it should be, community, interconnection, et cetera. So I sort of buried the whole idea of it and never wanted to revisit it. And I thought that my punishment to Yako Sakula would be, that's it, I'm never quoting him again, I'm done. (laughs) And then I remember stumbling across another paper that he wrote where he said exactly the same. He said, well, of course, I don't even know why it's even a theory. It's just the way people should be in relationship with each other. And a few weeks ago, I met him for the first time over dinner and I recounted to him my almost disrespectful stance when I first met him and then how I adjusted my position once I read that he had he didn't take himself too seriously within it, if, if you see what I mean. Oh, okay. And he said, oh, yeah, absolutely, that's exactly where my mindset was. Why is it even a theory? It's yeah. it's just the way we should be with each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think that if, if, we were, if we were flipping it between open dialogue and, and the systemic field, we might be saying it's, it's good to know that someone who puts together things that might be seen as a theory or as a model although I, I, I caution that idea of a model, that, that there's a degree of irreverence to even your own ideas. Because <laughs> mm. mm. it's a bit like trying to catch the word. You know, it, it's not that every word is going to be the one that makes the connection. So I'm going to catch your word, Billy. Yeah. Because you said I would caution mentioning it as a model. Will yeah. you elaborate on what you're feeling around that? Maybe if I talk about feeling around it, the feeling of a model usually comes in a package and the package has a format and the format leads to a practice that can become 
routine. Hmm. And there will be very good pieces of evidence to support the model because it's been through various forms of potential research or, or like lots of models, they just emerge out of practice long before there's any evidence to support them, like Open Dialogue did, because everyone poo-pooed it in the beginning, going back to 1992, when they looked at Sekula's work and thought, hmm, yeah. They were probably thinking, well, thank goodness it's just happening in Finland. That was the sort of dialogue around at the time, you know. Hmm. People laughed at these things. And so trying to construct a model around it can be quite dangerous because you get a fixed set of practices. Whereas I would suggest it's probably more useful. Well, that's my that's my my emotional response, I think, is that I... I there's a physical response as well, and I usually come out in a rash when someone says, <laughs> I have a model, and so I have to scratch it. Mm. Can I give you a little example? Yeah. I wrote a poem a few weeks ago called "Okay, We Are International, and it's about rugby, and it's about domestic violence. It's quite a short poem. And I shared it with, with someone in the team that I work with on a Thursday. I let this person have this poem. And and she she liked it a lot. She thought it was very powerful. And and her idea, she says, can I share this on my Instagram account? And I said, yeah, it's okay. And she said, and I want to get this poem printed on beer mats. She's carrying this idea that because, and she sort of said to herself, why didn't I think of this before? Because one of her family members owns a pub and I can get this poem written on a beer mat, then people can, they'll look at it. Or take it home. Or take it home, you see. With a number, you see. If mm-hmm. you're experiencing domestic mm-hmm. violence, blah, 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 you know, contact. Anyway, I'll send you a copy of the poem. If Please you want. do. It's a lovely way of thinking about what is community. And community is a relationship. Mm. It's not just a collection. You know, if you've got a collection, you can have a redundant collection of things. And you've just got stuff together because you like it. But if you've got a collection of things that are connected and you can tell a story about it. Mm. You see, even when people go into an art gallery and they look at all those wonderful paintings, they never come out with the connection of the painter. They only come out with the visions of the paintings. But when you tell the story of the painter before you go in, Mm. then it makes much more sense. Mm. I need to do that with opera, to be honest. I never have a clue what's going on. (laughs) <laughs> All right, okay. I do think we've captured something today, though. Yeah, but we can filter it out. You know, the thing is, yeah. it's a bit like, it, it, it seems that it's a stream of conversation, isn't it? Yeah. And then, and it's almost like the thing that, that we have to teach people when we're thinking about reflecting team processes is how do you filter yourself to offer the feedback that's most connected with the client? Can you remember that thought, please? We're going to need that one in a minute. <laughs> you always say your best thing when you're off air. And somebody might be listening to this and saying, that was very interesting, those two psychotherapists <laughs> talking. You know, it was a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. You know, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder who was recording it. Who was, the, who was the technical person who was listening yeah. to that? I wonder what they would think about it. Mm. I am mainly listening. There was quite a bit of my voice in it, and the computer ate it. And that's it for this episode of Open Pod Pod. Join us for the next episode.
don't forget to follow me at Fiona the PSW on Twitter. And I very much look forward to having you as my listener again. Thank you.